Hello, and welcome to Fresh Pressed for April 20th, 2021. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and green grooves. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, what's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Today is April 20th. Yep. And in just two days... It'll be Earth Day. So we decided to do a plant-related theme for this week. That's right. Our theme for this week is grass, which really important plant. It really yeah. holds the Earth together. Sort of category of plant. Yeah. There are lots of kinds of grass. Yeah. Blue dream. Anyway, that's enough grass jokes. <laughs> We barely got started, but that's enough. No, that's, well, I think one was enough. Andrew, what's your grassy groove? I have something, I think, a little bit different from the sort of thing we normally have this week. This is one movement from a larger work. Uh, the larger work is entitled Leaves of Grass, and it's by the composer and pianist Fred Hirsch. The uh, section that I'm specifically going to talk about is Song of Myself Part 8, I believe in a leaf of grass. I believe a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars. And the pismire is equally perfect. Obviously, this is a sort of jazz classical setting of selections from the Walt Whitman poetry collection Leaves of Grass. Yeah, obviously. I definitely recognized that when I listened to this song. Did you not? No, I totally did. I'm cultured. Yeah, I mean, like any cultured person, you'd be familiar with Leaves of Grass. Yep. And you would also especially recognize arguably the most famous poem in Leaves of Grass, which is Song of Myself. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And who would think that like kind of a random piano player would be such a good poet, right? Like it's clearly somebody famous and good. Exactly. And sort of, yeah, sort of how, how poetic it is. Would also hint, of course, but of course you wouldn't even need that because you're already recognized the fact that it's called Leaves of Grass and Song of Myself. Anyway, Fred Hirsch. Let's talk about Fred Hirsch for a moment. Um, he is a jazz pianist, as I said. He's from Cincinnati, Ohio. He started playing piano as a child, but but classical piano. He was apparently like winning national competitions when he was ten. Um, so he's a very good pianist. And wow. then uh, when he went to college at Grinnell, he started getting into jazz. And then he dropped out of Grinnell to play jazz, just sort of like to gig around in Cincinnati. And then he went to the New England Conservatory and like got some legit like jazz training there. Right. I'm fascinated by how the piano playing in the song very much walks the line between like traditional classical piano Mm -hmm. and more jazz influence it's hard for me to be like this is jazz or no this is like more concert piano i guess his background makes a lot of sense 
Yeah, and I, I I don't think that's necessarily true of all of his music, but especially this piece, this Leaves of Grass setting, is very composerly and, and really does toe that line. Um, so this is a project that he did, I think he composed in 2003, and this recording is from 2005. It is not all just piano and voice like this piece is. There's um, sort of a whole ensemble in some of the other movements. There's also another vocalist. This vocalist in this one is Kurt Elling. But the whole thing is sort of a like jazz oratorio is how I've seen it described. Because it is a setting of pieces of a large text. And it is not really set in... It, it, it is set in service of the text first and primarily. You know what I mean? Yes. The words aren't made to fit the music. Correct. I mean, yes. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Correct. Right. Yes. You kind of start with the words and then build the music around that. Walt Whitman did not write Leaves of Grass 150 years before this came out with the intention of having it set to jazz music because I don't think he would have known what jazz music was. So this is entitled Song of Myself Part 8. That, that's Part 8 in terms of the the parts of the music. This is actually the first sort of third of Section 31 of Song of Myself. Um, Fred Hirsch just sort of picked out, um, I think, just the parts of Leaves of Grass as a whole that, that really struck him in a certain way or maybe that he felt he had something to say musically about. And something that's kind of weird to me, and I had to like double check that this was, that I was reading this correctly. The poem starts with, I believe a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars, blah, 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 blah. But the title of this movement is, I believe in a leaf of grass, which is weird, but it does seem to be right. Like, that's what it says, you know, like, wherever you're streaming it but it's also that's how it is on the discography on his website so i assume that's intentional but it seems weird to me i mean it makes more sense as a title to say i believe in a leaf of grass but that is not what the lyrics are yeah that's interesting are we sure that it was intentional my default with art is that everything is intentional Mm -hmm. but this is sort of weird and i don't understand why you would alter that that doesn't mean it wasn't intentional though just that the reasons may perhaps be inscrutable to somebody such as myself. Yeah, maybe you're just not cultured enough. Right. Yeah. As hey, we've established. Being not cultured enough, did you know that Leaves of Grass is a pun? What? The title Leaves of Grass is a pun. What? How? Grass was apparently like a term for, a, a, like a critic's term for literature that they didn't think was very good. And so it's leaves as in pages leaves of grass but it's also literally about leaves of grass at points wow that is fascinating um yeah. just a window into 1880s jokes i guess anyway i just, this is a very brief 
piece of music and you know i it's too much for me to bring the entire leaves of grass work by fred hirsch um so i brought this one piece that is actually about a leaf of grass i think it's really lovely and that's true of this whole oratorio that's what we're going to call it his piano is is really sensitive and painterly is is the word that i want to say which is maybe yeah. nonsense but no no that makes so much sense to me and I, I think this is a great example of this because this this movement is a great example of, of the whole piece because it is just stripped down to piano and voice. And so it is all about these little gestures and the interplay between the two instruments. It, it, it goes in really separate sections. It has a whole piano part at the beginning and then the vocal part with the piano part underneath it. And then at the very end, it's just this like whispering mouse bit, which is also kind of cool. Yes. And I think this is something that he does well in setting Walt Whitman's words that he, like you said, the music is being tailored to the words. And so if he sees fit, he's going to drop out the music and just have a whispered line because that whispered line both reflects like, you know, he's talking about a mouse, but then also all of the S's in that, at the end of the line, it's a mouse is miracle enough to stagger sextillions of infidels. And he sets it in a whisper. So you really hear those S's and also has Kurt Elling, the vocalist, really emphasize those S's and not in a harsh and just sort of like a soft and uh, gentle way. It's, it's really nice. And a cow crunching with depressed head Surpasses any statue And a mouse is miracle enough To stagger sextillions of infidels Gabe, what are you smoking, mowing? What are you mowing over there? Is it some grass? Yes, but unfortunately, Andrew, it's Brown Grass by Gregory Porter off his 2013 record, Liquid Spirit. Brown Grass On the other side, nothing but brown grass Now I'm open wide to the truth I left behind Her love so hard to find now I find myself falling down on brown grass. Andrew, you have never heard of Gregory Porter, correct? No. Now, I did ask you ahead of time is if it was acceptable to bring Mr. Porter on this podcast because he did win a Grammy for this album. Oh, okay. So, but I, okay, but come on. Who is looking at the Grammy for best jazz vocal album? In 2013. Um, I, I might have been, but fine. Gregory Porter is a jazz vocalist, as you can probably tell by now, who is extremely talented and very good at making jazz vocal music. This is, I think, his third full-length album. I'm actually not entirely sure. Um, but he's garnered quite a bit of success in the last decade. With this album and then his 2017 record, which I believe also won the Grammy for Best Jazz Vocal Album. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> he is from Bakersfield, California. 
interesting fun fact about Gregory Porter is that he went to college at San Diego State University on a full scholarship for football. Had an injury and basically transitioned fully into making music. He ended up moving to New York City and sort of getting his footing there in the jazz scene. Brown Grass is the ninth track off this record, Liquid Spirit, which Andrew was first introduced to me, I guess probably when it came out. Um, fall of 2013, I was DJing for my college radio station, and I remember seeing it in like the pile of new music that we were required to play a certain amount of songs from new albums every week. And this was in the pile, and I remember being like, wow, this is amazing. And listening to it constantly my freshman year of college. So it like brings back a lot of memories from that year. I like very particularly remember listening to it, like driving up to the North Carolina mountains for like spring break that year, which is something I love about music that it can always bring you back to a specific place. And this album is just so beautiful. And I think this song is a crystal clear representation of the record as a whole. His voice, Andrew, is just unbelievable. <laughs> um, when, I, when I hear him, I think of, there's a quote from one of the books of the Game of Thrones series where they're describing a somebody's singing voice as honey poured over thunder. I love that phrase, and that's what springs to mind when I hear Gregory Porter sing. More the honey than the thunder, I think. Are you more a honey or are you more a thunder? That would be a great lasers and feelings. Uh, okay. Spin off. Get on it. Honey and thunder. If anyone makes half-assed lasers and feelings hacks. But what I really admire about his vocal style is he's just brimming with talent, but he can understate it and then knows when to bring the thunder. (laughs) You know, like he has great control in this song of altering between like this really beautiful, silky smooth baritone and then like digging into it and expressing that dynamic control. Why didn't I know that she was a essential part of me? I thought that I needed to find me and I needed to be free. Why didn't I know that she was all that I would ever need? Yeah, you know, I, I really noticed that and I, I think I noticed it especially um, in comparison to the saxophone solo that happens in the middle of the song. Do you know who's playing sax on this, by the way? The saxophone player is Yasuki Sato. I really get a lot of honey in the first like, large portion of the song from his voice. And then the saxophone leans a lot more into the thunder side of things. It's a lot more, it feels a lot more energetic, um, like in terms of just like number of notes, notes per minute. Yep. Um, higher for the saxophone. But when Gregory Porter comes back in that sort of like bridge section, it feels like he's leaning into that energy a lot more. Right. Um, he like takes a cue from the saxophone and has that thunder. And then um, it just 
flows so easily back into the honey when he gets back to the chorus. It's an interesting point you make about taking the dynamic cues, which is something that is very present in jazz, although I think can get lost in recorded jazz. Mm -hmm. Because almost certainly, right, Porter did his vocals at some point separately, in a booth by himself, as opposed to with the rest of the band. That's typically how recording is done. And, I mean, the saxophone could have been done the same way. And actually probably was as well. Yeah. And so sometimes you lose that that energy, which can be a physical energy when you're playing music, right? Like you you can play off somebody's like body language, and it's one of the reasons I typically find live jazz much more compelling than recorded jazz. But this album and this song, I think, do well to give you that illusion that you are listening live, which I appreciate, and I think gives the album and the song a lot of body. I just wanted to note his incredible range as well. Like he has this beautiful like baritone, right? But in particular he really digs low for the note on the word grass. You know what note he's going for ahead of time and you're like, is he gonna hit that note? And then he hits it really smoothly. And you're like, whoa. Wow, that's incredible. And I don't know, maybe that's my perspective as somebody who's sang similar-ish voice parts in the past poorly. Um, But, you know, I'm always amazed when I hear somebody really hit a low note like that and can do it with, like, volume in their voice. And it just speaks to his technical ability as well as his musical ability. Absolutely. You know, this is really about just the, the music and less the words but it's almost like a classic jazz, vocal jazz, blues perspective about like mourning a love that you threw away, going and finding that the grass is not greener on the other side, as it turns out, Andrew, but it's brown. Yeah, I like that because when I was looking for grass songs, I did think like, oh, what if I look for songs about the grass being greener or the grass not being greener? But you've taken it a step further where he doesn't even say anything about how green the grass is. Just how brown it is there he is subverting expectations Gregory (laughs) Porter why didn't I know that she was a essential part of me I thought that I needed to find me and I needed to Andrew, we've so far really leaned away from our typical indie fair on this Mm -hmm. podcast, and it looks like we're going to continue to do so with your new song. Yeah, I mean, in in some ways, uh, yes. This is Sun Lux from their new album, Tomorrow's Three, and this is the first track from the album. It's called Unbind. Sun Lux is a trio. It was originally just Ryan Lott as a solo act, and uh, it now includes Rafik Bhatia and Ian Chang. 
Rafik Bhatia is is a guitarist primarily, and Ian Chang is a drummer primarily. Um, Ryan Lott plays keyboards and vocals, but they're all doing all kinds of production and, and composition for the group and in their own right. This is the third and final installment of this uh, trilogy of albums that they've put out two last year and then this one this year. Tomorrow's one, Tomorrow's two, and this one, Tomorrow's three. Have you listened to the other two records? I haven't, or maybe I did, but I don't recall. (laughs) Yeah, I also don't think I listened to them last year. I'm not sure that I was aware that they were putting out music. I'm familiar with the group, but I don't know how I missed that. I just know that I didn't expect to be that interested in this album, but had been sort of disappointed by the offerings this week. And so I was like, okay, I'll listen to this sooner than I was expecting to. Cause I was expecting like, you know, maybe I'll get to it before recording. Maybe not. Um, and just the moment that this first song started, I was like, holy shit, I have found the song. Yeah. It's an amazing song. It's so like dense. And I think I would say noisy. Yeah, in like a I good mean, way. yes, absolutely. The real star here is the is the strings, which is uh, played by a quartet: Heinal Pivnik, Audrey Hayes, Andrew Griffin, and Hamilton Berry. Um, they they are on this track and a couple other tracks on this album, um, and they have this repeated melody that is carried through pretty much the entire song. Um, transformed a little bit in the middle but it, re- it returns and it's ju- it's just incredible I, I, it's just like four notes of this melody that is that is expressed through the string quartet and then sort of deconstructed and reconstructed and expanded upon by all of the electronics and all of the other instruments and the string quartet itself uh, throughout the song it's sort of an amazing modern contemporary take on like the classic theme and variations. Yeah, is it? <laughs> no, I, I do. I do think it is because we really do cycle back to these same melody, which is quite short over and over again. But when we come back to it, it's like disintegrating and falling apart and laden with noise and this distorted electric guitar solo. Maybe it's a, a better comparison would be like the jazz standard, but it does, it, we just like keep cycling back to it, which I think is very interesting and does remind me of like a classical composition. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that the theme of variation is really the right uh, thing here, but. Okay, you should listen to Andrew, folks. He he did actually study these things. Because it's it's like a process, right? You know, like the thing, the reason why I don't think theme and variation really applies is because that's usually pretty separated. Like, mm-hmm. here's the theme, here's variation one, variation two, variation three, and they're separate. And this is a a process of of like you said, disintegrating and reintegrating this melody. So yeah. it, it has it shares a lot more with I think there's obviously a direct line to like minimalism than it does with theme and variation.
there's a lot of cool pieces to this song. Um, some of them you've mentioned already, like the guitar solo, which is Rafik Bhatia, who is the guitarist. I, I really feel like that that flows out of the strings really well and sort of immediately takes over for them. Yeah. Um, and it lasts for a long time. And by the time it's ending, the strings are, are returning. I think there is a part there where that melody disappears. That that repeated string melody is, is gone during that guitar solo. But that guitar solo is still entirely informed by that four-note melody and, like, that gesture. So um, it, it returns and returns again and, and reminds you of that even while the strings are no longer present. Just some other cool little pieces. There's one of the first things that, that pops up. Actually, I think the first thing that pops up other than just the strings and it's also one of the last things to remain at the very end is uh just this sort of like i think it's entirely digital but maybe it is based on um maybe it is sampled from the strings um it's sort of this like string tremolo sound that they pan from all the way on the left to all the way on the right so if you're listening to it with headphones you can hear it go like across from left to right and that is one of several uh, electronic digital components that they incorporate that is really carefully chosen so that it complements the timbre of the strings and sort of thickens it without popping out too much. And there there are different levels of that. There's different sort of sounds that they bring in. Obviously, when they bring the drums in, <laughs> you know that that's not part of the strings. But I think if you're not listening super closely, especially if you're not hearing it on the headphones and feeling that that pan from left to right, you may not even notice that tremolo sort of sound as anything other than just the timbre of the strings. Um, so that's how they sort of build up the whole song subtly with, with things like that. And then at the very end, I think even more than the drums, the thing that sort of like pops out and sort of totally changes the color palette of this song are these rolled harp chords that just sort of shimmer beautifully as the yeah. strings fade out. It's it's gorgeous and it is entirely different. Like obviously it's still a string instrument, and you've had a guitar in here, and you've had all these strings. But when this this harp, this like layers of harp comes in, it like brings me to a new place entirely, and it makes a perfect sort of transition into okay now this song is ending, and we're going on to the rest of the album. I was struck by the title in no small part because it is uh, related to the title of your and my Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yes. Noted. <laughs> but also because it's an interesting word, which is also why I chose it as the title of our Dungeons and Dragons campaign, Unbind. It has a lot of depth of meaning to it. You know, it's not necessarily untie. It's not necessarily sever, which is the same title as... Uh, another track on this album it's not upend which is also sort of that it, it, it it's it's sort of all of these things and more um and so i think though the many layers of the meanings of that word unbind in the title you can apply all of those layers to all of the layers of the track as a whole it doesn't feel like something that has been unbound or the intention to unbind it is like the act of unbinding it's the process of the song 
is the unbinding and it goes through the layers of that like it is it is sort of these these string timbres and the melodies that get sort of frayed and torn apart throughout the song orally i mean all of these effects get sort of shattered there's there's parts where just sounds sort of like cut out and chop up like like it's distorted as as a piece of music as a whole the thing that i love about minimalism is that it takes some small idea like this four note melody do 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 that thing and it repeats it and expands upon it and and returns to it over and over so much that it is sort of freed unbound from all of its layered qualities you you can understand the idea of the melody exclusively because you have heard it so many times and with so many minuscule variations in the sound um, that it's not just, oh, yes, that part with the strings. It is like the idea of the melody itself. Maybe that's overly cerebral, but that is where I'm at on this song, and it's why I think it's a fucking good song. Gabe, bring us home with the the expected type of music. Not to say that it is not wonderful. Yeah, we always need a little indie pop thing going on, right? So this is Low Island, their new album, If You Could Have It All Again. And this is the last track off that album, titled What the Hell Are You Gonna Do Now? Now they're married and she's pregnant Got a flat in town And how much longer Will you pretend That you don't want any of that Really channeling my inner Andrew this week with jazz vocalists and... Final tracks. Yeah. Bow Island is a four-piece band out of Oxford, UK, consisting of Carlos Posada, who is the vocalist, and Jamie J, Jacob Lively, and Felix Higginbottom, making up the rest of the members. This is their debut record as Low Island, and I think it's a fascinating record that really jumps between different extremes of musical styles within the broader style of indie rock (laughs) if that makes sense like the first track is this really beautiful piece and i think so is his last track and then some of the in-between ones could just be like cuts off an lcd sound system record yeah, I hadn't heard this album. I hadn't seen this album. So when you sent it to me this afternoon, I just listened to the whole thing. And your track was the last, and I do that, but I started with the first one. And I was like, wow, I love this first song, and it's such like a, an Andrew song. I'm so surprised that this is what Gabe picked from. And then I got to the second track, and I was like, oh, this is the most Gabe song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I feel like it does sort of, they do sort of alternate between them. It's definitely a little more on the Gabe side. Um, sure. I think. Definitely. But that first song and also the very brief, like, don't let the light in reprise. Yep. Um, Those are both very me. This one, I think, is like a very good middle ground between the two. And not that yeah. we have completely disparate. <laughs> no. Obviously, we have similar music tastes, but there are specific differences. And I think this one really like threads the needle between. It's it's beautiful and it has elements I think that really appeal to both of us and I'm sure that different elements appeal to you of the song than to me. I want weekend walks and pillow talk. I want a lover's touch and another's heart. I want morning routines and shopping cars. So the song opens with a really gorgeous, like, choral opening. Although it seems to be like a mix between, like, some synthesized vocals and some actual vocals. And then it launches into sort of the the core groove of the song that's really led by uh, the bass. We hear Posada's vocals, which is this really beautiful present sound, and much more so than other times of the album. I don't... I don't have a great sense of the magic that mixing engineers can do with vocals, mm-hmm. but it, this vocal is perfect for the song and it's so warm and just like right next to you singing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Without really like being overbearing. The lyrics of the song deal with sort of that classic indie rock question about turning 30 <laughs> which is a funny way to put it but i feel like there's probably nothing more that indie rock bands talk about more than um than turning 30 and the the whole album is about that right but, i mean the name of the album is if you could have it all again which is like if you could relive your 20s again now we're not uh turning 30 although one of us is turning 26 the day after this episode is released true andrew Um, But, you know, these questions of aging are always so relevant. And, like, in particular, this is about, you know, what you want out of your life. And seeing people live their lives in these traditional ways and asking if that's something you want. You read it in the books. It's on the TV. But you don't want that. And where has all the time gone? And then after saying that you don't want that, talking about the things you do want which are that um and this like discussion of doors closing and turning 30 is paired really well i think with a being the last track on the album b the way that the vocals are mixed and recorded and sort of the gentle groove that persists through the whole song Somehow I feel like this song in particular on the album does really well to match the lyrical content and ideas to the instrumentation Hmm. and how the song was produced. But my favorite touch on the song is this like muted 
slightly out of tune piano that comes in repeatedly. Uh, and at one point, you know, everything drops out except this piano, which, you know, sounds like kind of a crappy upright piano that somebody forgot about and you're recording it through a door. What love Maybe this is a stretch, but feels like it is exactly this idea that the song is discussing. Like the piano is the perfect representation of the person singing the song, even though that you can hear them singing. You think that the piano is 30 years old? I mean, geez, at least. Listen to that piano, Andrew. And, you know, it's the last track on an album, Andrew, and I don't think you could ask for a more last tracky last track than this last track on this record. No, I agree. And I, you know, I really appreciate a last track on an album that ends with a, like, audio clip of someone talking. Unironically, I'm saying that completely honestly. I love when it's like the music is fading out and there's like a, you know, like a, a phone quality recording of someone talking to someone else. Yeah, and the way that it was cut off very intentionally, right? Like in the middle of a sentence, but ending with the words, I hope. Yeah. Sort of a beautiful way to end the album. What love Andrew, I agree with you that there wasn't a lot of music this week that caught my eye, but what else would you like to highlight? If you liked my theme pick, then I have another piano jazz album for you to listen to, which is by uh, the pianist Masabumi Kikuchi. The album is called Hanamichi. Um, it has some some really nice stuff and some like, you know, it has summertime and my favorite things on there, which are like the most classic of jazz standards um but i really do think that he approaches them both in a really interesting way uh, honestly interesting and novel way there is an album from kind of the front man of wolf parade spencer krug called fading graffiti which is perfect if you want a more mellowed out wolf parade sound if you know who wolf parade is like a dog parade there's an album called Euphoric Ouroboric by David Wax Museum that was pretty cool. And I also just felt like the title was, you know, something that Gabe would title one of these episodes when he edits. Wow, the shade. My no, goodness. No, I, I mean, literally, you have one that's like presidential confidential. So I can't remember what it was, but it was something like that. That was from like a year ago. There's an album I really liked from Corey Hansen called Pale Horse Rider, which leans into more of that Southern California slash LA indie Western inspired, you know, the kind of music that I've brought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you'll allow it, I'd like to mention a couple things that came out last week when we took the week off. Wow. Must I? Yeah, of course. Flight uh, put out an album called This Is Really Going to Hurt. I brought the song Losing You from that. I think that was the first single like months and months ago. Um, but it's really, really lovely. 
It is exactly the, the flight kind of thing that I wanted. A really good rap record from AJ Tracy called Flu Game. Excellent. There was an EP from last week called Winding by Francis of Delirium that is like one of my favorite EPs of the year so far. And I certainly would have brought something from it if we were able to do an episode last week. A more major reissue release thing that came out this week, um, Sharon Van Etten re-released 10, which came out 10 years ago, I believe. Um, it's called Epic 10, and it features a whole slew of of collaborators, including Big Red Machine and Shamir and Courtney Barnett and Fiona Apple. Um, very cool. Last one I want to mention from last week is uh, an album called Sace by Mon Laferte. Uh, it's a really beautiful flamenco-inspired uh, pop album. It's It's very cool. Ooh, I did not hear about this. Yes, you should check it out. You will enjoy it. Yeah. That's all for our show this week, folks. Um, You should give us a follow on Twitter, if you haven't already, at Fresh Pressed Pod. Um, There's a Spotify playlist in the show notes that contains all of our picks from this week and all previous weeks on the show. Andrew and I will be back on Tuesday, April 27th, with more tunes and more grooves. But until then, I am Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you have been listening to Fresh Pressed.